A few years back, I had a kid come up to me and ask me if I was her mommy's new boss. I said, I guess I am. She said, great. Since you can tell her what to do now, can you tell her to shut her gaping mouth and leave me alone? The mother was horrified and instantly began to push their kid out the door and turned around to me saying, I, I hope you forget about that. They sometimes say things like that, but they are really good kids. They're good kids. They play their video games unsupervised, and they will clean the rooms after I ask a few times. They're good kids. That moment is a stark memory for me. And it highlights our different understandings of what a good kid even means. It was one of those moments where I had to sit down and figure out what does good even mean to me. We like to use the word good. They're good kids. He's a good man. It's a good dog. This is good food. Good, along with words like nice and fine, are some of the least descriptive and specific words in our language. So when we run across a word um, like good and a verse like the fruit of the Spirit is goodness, we must stop and first think, what in the world do we usually even think when we hear that word? How do we define it? How does our culture understand the word good? And how do we change our minds into understanding it in a scriptural way? What's the definition, the biblical definition of good? Well, like many of the words that we run into when we're into scripture, it takes a little bit more digging than most people think. To get down to, to the meat of what it really means, the word that appears in Galatians 5.22 only appears four times in the Bible, and so far, nowhere else in any Greek writings. The word is totally unique to Scripture. It is a compound word that combines agathos, which means uh, naturally good or inherently good, and the suffix sine, which means connected or concerned with the state of the soul. When we get to Galatians 5.22, we see our word, agathosene, which literally could be defined as inherent goodness of the soul. If you go to a Greek-to-English dictionary, it explains it like this. It is the unique quality and condition of the believer, in which they have been embedded with a goodness that can only come from God, showing itself visibly in the life as spiritual and moral excellence, it is virtue. Is that the word for good that I would use to describe that kid? No. Frankly, if you use the biblical meaning of the word good to talk about your pizza or your dog, you're probably going to be blasphemous because those things cannot be imbued with the Spirit of God and therefore cannot be good. Actually, there is not a lot in this world that you could describe as spiritually and morally excellent. So instead of coming down hard on that particular child, can we step back and ask ourselves, can we describe anything as good? Can humanity be described as, as good? Scripture does not use that word to talk about humans. Instead, this is what it says. When Solomon brought the Ark of the Covenant into the temple, Solomon confessed to God in 1 Kings 8.46, There is no one who does not sin. Isaiah said the same thing in, in Isaiah 53.6, All we like sheep have gone astray, we have all turned to our own way, 
and the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. Paul affirms the universality of sin in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And according to 1 John 1.8, anyone who claims to never have sinned is nothing less than a liar. Humanity, at its very core, in its very nature, is sinful and twisted. There is a reason that Agatha Sine is used only of believers, not because Christians are better human beings, but because we have the power of the living God through the Holy Spirit in us. And let me tell you, God is good. God is good. When God revealed himself to Moses and the nation of Israel, it was in these terms. It says, The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, the Lord God merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth. The Bible says this about eternal creator God. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turn turning. The Psalms say this, God, you are good and you do good. Teach me your statutes. In another place, the Lord is good to all and his mercies are over all his works. And in another place, praise the Lord. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his loving kindness is everlasting. God has proven himself good to me. He has proven faithful and just. He's answered prayers. He's guided me through dark valleys. He's given great gifts. It is apparent without debate that he is there and that he cares about me. Each interaction shows that he is good and he desires good for me. Yahweh is a good God. God is good all the time. But all of us are sinners. That much is clear. The question for me is how do we become good? If goodness is inherently counter to who we are as, as human beings, if we truly want to be a good boy or a good girl or a good man or a good woman, the answer is that we have to do something, we have to have something in us that, that runs counter to what we are naturally. We need a good God alive in us. So let's review the basic message of the gospel of salvation. God loves the whole world and wants to have a personal relationship with each person. But all people are eternally separated from God because of their sin, and there is nothing within their own power they can do to restore their relationship with God. And although God loves everybody, He is a just and holy God, and because of sin, we are condemned to separation eternally from God. We call that place hell. But God would not let this stand. God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to this earth to pay the price for sin, your price, the price that was on your head, by dying on the cross in your place. And he rose from the dead and ascended into heaven. And Jesus says, putting your faith in his sacrifice and in his name is the only way to God. The person who puts his faith in Jesus Christ receives forgiveness of sins and is reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. To follow Christ means to turn away from sin in repentance and to surrender one's life to him as Lord and Savior. When someone receives Jesus, the Spirit of God comes to live in that person, and then 
he or she is able to live a life that is pleasing to God. The person who has come to God in repentance has the Spirit of God. We have the Spirit of the living God. We have the Spirit of goodness that runs counter to what we are as fallen humanity. We have Him creating in us a new person. He is producing fruit. He is making us good again. C.S. Lewis said this, The Christian does not think God will love us because we are good, but that God will make us good because he loves us. God is making us good. And so far, I'm not satisfied with, with our definition of, of what that looks like. It's, it's one thing to say, humanity is not good and God is good, and those who are found in God is given the spirit of goodness. But we still need to get down to the basic truth of what does that look like in our lives? We've already dismissed our English cultural understanding of the word good. Humanly speaking, when we say that someone or something is good, we mean that person or thing pleases me, satisfies me, is healthful for me, or will bring me happiness. We live in a humanistic society where we live by this philosophy that something is good if I like it or if most people like it. The human race is at the center of the universe in our, in our minds and in our world. And in such a society as this, there's very little room at all for God. In a society like this, the people, we set the standards for what is acceptable and what is good. And that bar has not been set high. God sets the bar high. God sets the standard of goodness for the Christian. His standard is revealed in the Old and New Testaments. Goodness in the Bible implies what is morally right, what is helpful and charitable. Goodness is unselfish concern for the welfare of of others. Goodness is the holy life that lives in accordance to the Bible and blesses us. God is making us good. Earlier in the book of Galatians, just before Paul begins to present the fruit of the spirits, he warns us to not gratify the lust of the flesh. And by this he means our natural state as humans. This is what he says in chapter 5, 19 through 21. The verse is right before we're at. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are clear. And this is what I mean by this. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like this. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living this sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. Goodness is diametrically opposed to all of these vices and evils. When God is making us good, he is removing the things in our lives and our souls that appear on that list. The good person, by the grace of God, overcomes the sin inside them. The good person, by the power of the Holy Spirit, fulfills the the promise, the prophecy of Deuteronomy 6-18, and you shall do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord. How does your life match up with that list? Are you good in a way that God defines as good? How is that quarrelsome nature? How's your relationship with alcohol? Do you still have idols? 
Are you still an angry person? Are you jealous? Selfish? One who causes division? How do you stack up to God's idea of being good? And goodness is a lot more than just not doing something bad. It is the spirit and the power of God that is attached to your very souls, right? So it's more than removing the negative out of your life. It also is adding the positive portions of God's character. It's now embedded and growing in your life. It is what God is putting in your life that replaces the selfishness, the drunkenness, the anger. And those positive and negative lists, they could go on forever. We're looking at a list of nine in Galatians, and it's going to take us nine weeks. But the positive qualities of goodness listed throughout the Bible, it numbers in the hundreds. We could talk about them for weeks. But I just want to go to one, one verse quickly in the Old Testament and see if goodness, as we are cultivating it in our lives, matches up to what the Lord desires. We're going to Micah 6, 8. It is a very simple verse. It is a very popular verse today. And this is what it says. This is what pleases the Lord. To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Goodness means to act justly. We need to be honest and fair with every person and and seek to bring justice for those who are mistreated or taken advantage of. This is not something that will happen unless the spirit of goodness begins to take over your life. Goodness means to love mercy. We all mess up. And when we do, we sure appreciate someone who is compassionate and forgiving. When others mess up against us, we can let God handle it. We can forgive. That is not something that will happen unless the spirit of goodness begins to take power over our lives. Goodness means to walk humbly with your God. Pride has no fear of God. The prideful man, the prideful woman elevates themselves into the very seat of God. They will do whatever they want, and they will rationalize all kinds of evil. But to live in a way to please God, who is seen perfectly in Jesus, means to walk humbly according to God's will and plan. That is not something that will happen in your old nature. It will only happen when the spirit of goodness begins to take over your life. How's that spirit of goodness looking in your life right now? Is it growing and is it showing? When people look at you, do they see the workings of the spirit of God? God is good. He is making you good. On an individual level and on a church level. What does it look like for First Baptist Church to be good? When there's a temptation to quarrel, the spirit of goodness must reign. When tempers flare, the spirit of goodness must reign. When we're reluctant to forgive, we must forgive. We need to be good by God's standard of good. We need to be able to teach the word and to love with God's heart. It is simpler to do than you think. Goodness is not hard when the people of God let the spirit of God work. That's the problem. You're trying to do everything out of your own strength. You're trying to do everything as a human. And you need to learn how to let your humanity step aside and let God be God in your life and begin to do the work that you are powerless to do. And I will commend you. You are a good church filled with good people. 
I'm going to constantly come down on you and hit the gospel hard because that's what I'm supposed to do, to push, to challenge, to sharpen. But I always just feel the need to commend you. You are good people with good hearts and strong faith. And I have no shame in your witness or in your lives. And I want to thank you that the Spirit is evident. And I want to thank you that you are a good church, not by the world's definition, but by the Bible's definition. Stick with it, as an individual and as a church. The end of improvement is not found until the soul leaves the body and we are side by side with the Father and we hear the blessed words of well done, good and faithful servant. Be good. Be morally and spiritually excellent to each other, to yourself, and to the world. Let your fruit grow. Let your soul shine. And let the world know that Jesus is thine.